There is a library that exists at the nexus where all other universes collide. Inevitably, things wind up there by mistake. Books, artifacts, people. This is the place where things from all universes end up when they get lost. This is the Eternity Archives. Welcome back to the Attorney Archives. My name is Bappy. My pronouns are they, them, and I play Real Day Trakel, who's killed people today, but that's not new. <laughs> Sorry, I'm, I, I'm speechless. I also killed the room. I just <laughs> destroyed. You yeah, killed okay. me personally. Yeah. Um, hi, everyone. I'm Ziva. My pronouns are she, her, and I play Linda, the human office lady who um, will carry some secrets to her grave. Who knows how many people Linda has killed? I'm kidding. You all do. You've heard on this show. Linda did not have a life of crime before she came to the library. Or did she? Or, or did, did she? She, she didn't. <laughs> unless. Mm. Unless. Hi everyone, I'm Dorka. Zen has killed lots of people before today and also today, but today she's been able to kill people in new and interesting ways, which is very exciting for her. Good Good for for her. her. Everyone deserves a little treat once in a while. Gotta keep it fresh. And yet out of everyone here, I think Zen is the one who would be least likely to go see a therapist, despite probably being the one to need to see one. (laughs) Yeah, Zen probably needs to see a therapist the most. (laughs) <laughs> they don't have therapy in her medieval fantasy what world. What is this witchcraft? What is therapy? <laughs> Just put some leeches on her head. She'll be fine. Oh my oh. god. Just <laughs> suck the, the sadness out of her brain. That's a good magic item. We gotta we gotta put that somewhere. Yeah, that would be kind of rad if that's what therapy was, where you just they're like, take a nap, and we'll put these on your head, and when you wake up, everything will be better. We just need to adjust the humors in your brain. Yeah. <laughs> Except for the part where, you know, fantasy leeches are involved. That doesn't sound like the worst form of therapy. It sounds kind of relaxing. I I think we can go with it. Uh, Hello, everybody. My name is Ember. My pronouns are she, they, and I am playing both the role of the guest GM this arc and Hope, the interdimensional traveling planner traveler who has killed a great number of people, several dragons, and a number of creatures that I don't want to list here because then I would have to think of them. Well, brag about it. You know, she's been around for quite a while, (laughs) so, you know... So my icebreaker question for this session is, if you could take any setting and see what it's like centuries into the future, which one? Okay, so I've not really played a ton of Monster Hunter, but I've played a little bit. And I think it'd be neat if you took Monster Hunter but made it future. I think that's just Horizon Zero Dawn, maybe. But don't make it Horizon Zero Dawn so that my answer seems cool. You're not wrong. You're not wrong. There's definitely similarities. Well, like, I just want to fight, like, monster hunter monsters, but with, like, a laser gun or, like, a laser sword. I think that'd be cool. That would be be very cool. Yeah, Horizon Zero Dawn, all the monsters or animals are, like, mechanical for, I'm sure, an important plot reason that I don't know because I never beat the game. But monster hunter, but make it future. Maybe give me a motorcycle. That'd be cool. Yeah. Instead of Palamute, I just drive a motorcycle. Maybe it's shaped like a dog, though. There you go. I don't know. 
If I could take any setting and move it forward, mine would be, um, I think, the Stormlight Archives by Brandon Sanderson. Ooh. He does this cool thing in Mistborn, which is one of his other series, where he takes that setting and moves it forward, like, a, like a, I think, a couple hundred years. Literally the prompt of this question. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and then he does, he's going to do it again. He's going to do another time skip in that universe and move it from like medieval to like the old West to like the future. And so I'd love to see something with Stormlight because the magic in that that world and like the way they develop technology is so fascinating. And even just in like the little bit of the series that's out. So I mean, I say little bit, there's like five books and they're all enormous, but we see technology evolve so much in like a relatively short time span that I'd love to see how that technology and magic would evolve over like hundreds of years. So that I'm going to take my nerd hat off um, and put on my uh, my different nerd hat, my tabletop nerd hat now, but that's my answer. Yeah, I just have to like expand on that because like I saw this question and also wanted to talk about Mistborn because yeah. like the way he did it was like so cool. Like you see a lot of fantasy universes where it's like, okay, here's the sequel that takes place hundreds of years later, but it's still a medieval fantasy world. But like the Mistborn sequel trilogy like seriously advances things a ton and like changes everything, but you can still see like where it all came from and then like how the magic and technology are so seamlessly blended and it's like really a masterpiece of world building i think the world building is actually better than the trilogy but yeah but that's not my answer because that's a thing that's already happened and i've already seen (laughs) my actual answer i would want to see like a futuristic elder scrolls because like elder scrolls is like already so weird and wild and out there and like we already know that elder scrolls has like time traveling robots from the future so like i would just want to see like what sort of crazy shit happens if you give that world time to evolve terrifying (laughs) terminator with drows or whatever they're called dunmer in the elder scrolls yeah they're not drows okay whatever fucking nerd my setting of choice for this question is Bloodborne, because I I honestly don't think that there's any chance that that setting is going to survive, I don't know, 20 years down the future, given exactly what happens like during the games and, and what happened even before the game started. There's there's so much lore in there as to how completely fucked up the, the city of Yarnum is uh, and, and, and how it got to be there and, and throw in like some sort of, you know, like techno horror elements and, and, you know, technology stuff dealing with blood. I think that would be extremely interesting, both to just wander around and see from a both a gameplay and a story perspective i personally always thought that the ideal bloodborne sequel would be like not necessarily in yarnum but like in the extended bloodborne like universe and that's like that would be perfect to do like an extended universe many years in the future with like yarnum's fallen into legend Ooh, talking about it gets me all excited time to time to go back and do another what's so cool about monster blood you guys (laughs) you've activated ziva's nerd hat again yeah i'm sorry the nerd hat's back on y'all it's it's not coming off so welcome back to the game, everybody. Uh, we are still playing Hack the Planet, and so many wonderful, fun things have happened. Last time, you managed to talk to your contact, Comey, who gave you all a request to go find a friend of theirs. The guys managed to find Soleil and bring him back to the Freerunners. And then she asked you to make your way down to the core of the energy conductor. So uh, going ahead and starting on that mission, uh, it is time to go ahead and do the engagement roll. Is everybody ready? Yeah, yeah let's, let's do it. Let's finish this out. All right, let's go ahead and jump right back into it. Funnily enough, the, the part of the plan that revolved around you all getting there uh, happens pretty much without a hitch. 
you know, you manage to get through the security checkpoint, even from the band into the jewel, get in the front gate and just head right on down into the parking garage. Once you get out, though, things start getting a little bit more complicated. You emerge sort of into the first level basement floor of the parking garage and make your way down to the first elevator. As you're getting there, though, you find that the parking garage itself is not nearly as unoccupied as you were hoping it would be. You've got a number of guards, almost like they're waiting for something or like waiting for some kind of a further order. And it's not quite the free ride that you were hoping for, at least in terms of of getting in and getting down past your first obstacle. Some of them give you a wave. One or two of them sort of look a little bit more carefully, but it doesn't seem like you've been detected just yet. As you head over to the elevator and go ahead and push the button, all of your radios, however, crackle to life. The dispatch announcer says that they just got a report in that one of their vehicles had been stolen and that a number of impersonators have been spotted wearing Tanavastor security uniforms. This causes no small amount of chaos in the garage as everybody starts looking at everybody else and a couple people even start reaching for weapons. The mention of someone from Voltekin, of which there are extremely few of those in the parking garage, maybe Zen and one other, is going to alert them eventually. Okay, can I ghost over to the other lizard person and make it seem like they fired a gun round? It's a bit of a desperate maneuver, but it's possible. Yeah. If you pull it off, it'll be good. Yeah. But it, the chance for failure is high, and what happens on that failure is could not be pretty. But you can definitely give it a shot. I might push myself to get an extra die. So four dice. Let's go. Oh, God. I got two twos, a three, and a four. You sort of take the advantage of the confusion to go ghost, and you move over. As you reach up for the weapon at their side and pull the trigger, though, your flicker shorts out at the most inconvenient possible moment. So you now find yourself holding on to somebody else's gun, roughly matching the description of one of the people who has been missing, and now you have an angry Voltekin, which has put you in an extremely bad position. So I have a proposal which is that I want Linda to use control to make a big scene and try to arrest Rill. So basically run over and be like, oh my God, it's you, we found you. I'm taking you into a custody immediately. Kind of try and look like she is taking over the situation. Okay, this might also just be desperate just because again, everybody's suspicious of everybody else. Linda also happens to match the description of one of the people. You're trying to play off something around some people with extreme extremely twitchy trigger figures. Okay, so I'm going to go ahead and do that, and I'm going to also go ahead and push myself. I rolled a six and a two. Woo! Having already kind of anticipated that something might go wrong, you have already started heading over, and whenever Rill appears, you are up there in an instant, grabbing their hand, turning them around, putting them into an arm lock. It'd be funny if it was their bad hand. Just absolutely <laughs> acting like the confident, in-control security person. You have effectively taken control of this situation. Now, of course, you have Rill and you need to do something with them. Zen, most of the attention has actually been taken off you. Linda, where are you going to take Rill exactly? Linda's going to try and say what she thinks is like the most security badass thing she can. Something like, nice try, criminal. Let's see uh, who you're working (laughs) for. Let's see what answers we can get out of you. And she's going to turn Rill around and, like, march them over to the elevator. Rill tries to play along, just like, what What the fuck? I don't know what you're talking about. I'm calling my lawyer. 
the elevator dings and opens up and the three of you tumble inside. And it isn't until the doors are closing when someone goes, hey, wait, that doesn't go up to the security room. But by that point, it's a little late and you guys have started descending. At that point, the radio starts buzzing, saying that there's uh, been an infiltration down in the security garage and it looks like they have three intruders dressed in Tanavastor security uniforms heading down. But at that point, you actually feel the building shake just a little bit and hear a very distant boom as the Freerunners have begun their own assault onto the upper floors. The, the radio that you have just starts buzzing and going haywire with activity as everyone's trying to talk to everyone else, everyone's trying to assign everyone else, and by the time you get down to the first level of the R&D labs, things are already kind of in chaos with some of the researchers there. As you're actually standing in the elevator and the door opens up, you hear a small thump from above, and then the opening access panel to the elevator gets kicked down, and you see Selkie's face flying down at you. Hi. Hi, Selkie. Uh, can I disable the elevator? You certainly can. You can try. This could really be either hack or modify, but it, it kind of depends on how you want to disable it, really. Again, that, that determines your method. I do have my fine hacking gear with me. I mean, hacking, hacking gear would work. Okay, hell yeah. All right. Three dice... I got a six, a five, and a one. Okay. Uh, you have taken control of the elevator. What you doing? If I could disable it entirely, or if I can disable and put a timer on it. If not, I'll disable it entirely, because I don't want anyone to, like, follow us down. How long did you want to disable it for? Just a couple of minutes? An hour? Let's do, like, two hours. So you have ended up in the R&D labs. From what Takomi told you earlier, you're going to go half to head and, and make your way through a couple of these, even just to get down to the reactor access elevator. As it is, it doesn't seem like anyone has seen you yet, but based on the alarms that are happening and the security chatter that's going on and the fact that they know you went downstairs, it's really only a matter of time before they catch up with you. Should we just run? <laughs> yeah, why not? Yeah, let's do it. You all book it on down the corridors. As you cross down into the first stairwell and, and head on down one of a couple, um, and you're booking your way down through another laboratory, you start passing a couple of what appear to be enclosures. Looking inside, there are some very strange things that are catching your eye, mostly just in the realm of creatures. Exactly what they're doing down here in Tanavastra, no one really knew or took the time to try and find out. But as you're passing by some of these these cages, you find yourself looking at holding cages and cells that are similar to the one that you were held in. But, of course, inside it's not you. Instead, you're seeing amalgamations, almost, of, of creatures. Parts taken and, and rearranged creatures that, even though you don't recognize them, you can tell something is off and twisted about them. Many of them track you with eyes containing a startling amount of intelligence and, in some cases, anger. They watch you as you go, all of these, this menagerie, but none of them seem to be doing much of an effect aside from watching you, or on one or two occasions, attempting to charge the barrier that stands between you and them. I want to try something here. I'm going to say I have demolition tools with me. I'm going to, like, rig up these explosives to the fronts of these holding cells and basically set them on a timer so that when slash if someone comes after us, these things will be out. Waiting for them? Yes. Okay. Rec seems fair since you are setting these to blow stuff up. Wreck is my favorite. <laughs> Setting the timer is easy. This is more about, you know, making sure you use the right amount of explosives and properly place everything and, and get it all set up. Go ahead and uh, give me a wreck. Uh, we're going to call this just regular risky standard. All right. I'm going to push myself on this. Okay. Take the stress and add die. Okay. I got a two, a four, and a six. Nice. So you go ahead and, and get everything set up. The others help you go ahead and plant them once the, the bombs are made. 
How long do you set the timer for? I'm going to say three minutes. Gives us enough time to, like, get away from these things, but not, like, so much time that people could get past them, basically. Okay. You go ahead and set these timers and place it and then beat feet down the hall. So you descend down another level or two, again, moving through some of these R&D labs. And then, as you turn past one of them, you find the site of something that none of you had ever expected to see again in your entire life. As you're passing by one of the holding cells, a familiar face catches your eye. On what looks almost like a hospital bed, you see Desi. Brill almost, like, trips. Stop it, like, <laughs> at the sight of this. Now, obviously, Desi didn't come down to this mission with you, but certainly looks familiar enough to the one that you last saw whenever she was teleporting out with one of your anomalies. Oh, this is bad, Desi? Ooh. Should we just leave her here? I mean... (laughs) (laughs) What if she knows what's been going on? I feel like we should try and take her with us. I can't imagine she'll be cooperative. Yeah, if she tries to kill us, then I'm shooting her. (laughs) I think I can work with that. Let's try and take her with us. And um, someone at the library must know how to talk with her and, and figure out what's going on. And yes, if she turns on us, we will fight back and I will not feel bad about it whatsoever. I don't think that's true, but it's okay. <laughs> yeah, is there anyone like guarding the cell that assumedly Dark Desi is in? Most of the scientists have gone somewhere for safety. Most of the halls you've gone through have been, have been empty. It seems the alarm have scared most of them off. It's also like three in the morning. A lot of them weren't here in the first place. Okay. But as you're looking inside, you see Desi sort of on this, functionally this hospital bed. So not conscious? Completely zonked out. Oh, well, that's good. Yeah. Can we just like unlock it? Or is she even locked behind anything? Can we just like grab her and go? I mean, she's locked in in one of the cells, certainly. Okay. Yeah, I would try to unlock it then. I would like to go ahead and use my foresight to assist Rill. I'm going to say that we brought the key card that we picked up earlier when we were escaping the tower. Linda tucked it in her pocket just in case. I mean, we don't have to roll for it. Can't we just open it then? Well, given that the key card was used and then stolen, they marked it as such. However... I will say that you did manage to pick up some of their code generation off of it. Okay. Um, so you can still, you, you can't use the key card itself, but you can use some of the data that was on it to okay. attempt to, to make this a little bit better. So this is another hack? Yes. So I get four dice, right? Yeah, plus one for, for me with my foresight. So three plus one, okay. Ooh, two twos, a three, and a four. So you go ahead and and plug in and start doing it. It looks like for whatever reason, this door, this cell in particular, or at least the ones down here, definitely use a different encryption scheme. If you want to do this, it's going to take more time than just a standard hack. You have to rewrite your encryption protocols and get everything else done. Zen, can you just break the door down? Yeah, can I just like bust through it? These doors look very heavy and stable. I would not suggest it. Let me make a proposal to you. I have the uh, special ability not to be trifled with, which is I can push myself to do one of the following. Perform a feat of physical force that verges on the superhuman, or engage a small gang on equal footing in close combat. Yeah, that could work. It's worth a shot. That still might be a desperate role, because again, you're basically trying to move a heavy steel door with just your physical. I don't think it's a role, though. I think it's just something I can do. Oh, yeah, you just... 
Zen just hulks out. Zen rips off her security uniform. <laughs> just, just pulls it. Uh, yeah, no, that's that's fine. We can go with that. It's one of those. It's an edge case, eh, but I'm not. I'm not exactly sure how it works. But I'm okay. That we can go with with it just happening. That's that's fine. How does Zen force open this door? I'm gonna say that Zen like pumps herself up, like Ziva said, rips off like the top of her uniform, and that like reinforced spine digs into her, and like steam pops out of some of those joints, and that tail and that thagomizer like tense up, and then she steps back and smashes into the door with her whole ass tail and body. So you slam in and dent the door enough to get it so that it doesn't fit into its frame properly. And then one more hit and it just pops open and you find yourselves inside. You feel something shift in the air as you as you walk in. Almost like you went through some kind of a, a field. Zen doesn't really have hair to raise on her skin, I assume. But it's that same feeling. You walked into something, but you're not exactly sure what. A huge spider web. <laughs> but regardless, Desi is is still there on the, the bed, unconscious, hooked up to some medical equipment. Well, she's going to grab Desi and like throw her over her shoulder. All right, let's fucking go. You go ahead and book it out the door. Once again, as you pass through the, the doorway, you feel moving through that space. And the moment you do, Desi wakes up and starts screaming. Looking at her, you can see that parts of her her body now start flashing and then rapidly eroding and then coming back and and just like vanishing from existence only to come back a split second later. She just can't do anything else except for scream. Uh, put her back, put her back, put her back. Yeah, I wasn't I wasn't prepared for this one. Let's um... put her back. <laughs> throw, throw her back. <laughs> Zen tosses her back into the room. <laughs> She lands heavily and gets back there. She still looks completely dazed, but honestly just goes, it's, it's weird, just goes right back to sleep. Uh, or, you know, the, the unconscious state that she was in. Um, looking at the monitor outside the cell, it says planar destabilization detected. It's beeping rapidly, and then after a few minutes, you can see Desi's body just stabilizes, and the warning goes away. Okay, so revised plan. Let's just leave and yeah, let's just go and tell someone in charge that she's here because this is important. But um, there's a lot of reasons why I don't feel good about our previous plan. Yeah, that was fucked up. Uh, I'm just gonna write a quick note. Uh, hey, evil Desi, we try to get you out. Sorry for hurting you. Dash real, and then just like sticks it, sticks like a post-it <laughs> note, just slides it across the door or whatever the frame, and then just uh, okay, yeah, let, let's just go. After that brief interruption, uh, the the group heads on back down, descending a couple more levels. You find yourselves standing in not too long of an order at the elevator that leads down to the reactor level. This one is going to take some time to hack. Your inside man managed to get you some assistance in opening the doors on here. This one he couldn't manage to get, so you're going to have to open it in some other way. Your explosions by this point have gone off, and you've heard a number of combat going on up above, so you've still certainly got some time, but... Otherwise, you're gonna have to move pretty quick unless you want to get some unwelcome interference from somebody. I mean, I can always hack it, but I don't know if it's gonna take time, like with the the Desi cell. Zen's still kind of winded from busting down that door. Yeah, I mean, I can give it a shot if you guys want. Just, you know, 
cover my back. Just let me know when they're getting close. Maybe I can... I don't fucking know. Linda's going to pull out a weapon. She has one of those disposable pistols, and she's going to look at Zen and say, Well, I guess we should just hold the line. Hopefully the uh, things we saw before will buy us some extra time. Or they're coming after us. Let's hope it's the first one. All right, so I'm rolling a, a hack. You are, in fact... This just be risky. Um, you guys are trying to make some time, uh, and the, there's a particular clock that I have for this. I got a three, a four, and a two. Uh, you make a little bit of progress towards it. Again, this is kind of a big, important door. It's going to take some time to break through all these security protocols, especially for getting down to, fundamentally, the crux of their operation. As you're starting it, though, a voice, a new voice, comes over your communications thing, uh, and you hear the bored, crisp tones that you haven't heard in, oh, about a day and a half at this point, as Dr. Addersgate rings in and goes, I assume I'm talking to the people from earlier from the library? Uh, no. Eat my ass. And shut the fuck up. I'm trying to concentrate. That definitely just confirms it. I'm telling you right now, you're wasting your time. You may as well just leave empty-handed. Why would I do that? Because once you get down there, you're not going to be able to take it with you. Why? Because you're going to kill us or something? Please, who do you think I am? Uh, an asshole? I have no idea. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm certainly not someone so uncivilized as to harm fellow plane hoppers, shall we say, enthusiasts for it. I can't say I've met many of your kind, although knowing that there are infinite permutations of infinite permutations of you, I suppose it was only a matter of time before you came here. So I'm telling you now, you may as well just leave. If you surrender now, I can promise that no harm will come to you. Well, if I had something that someone wanted and I didn't want them to take it, that's what I would say to them, too. I'm also not sure about this trusting that you won't harm us thing. Uh, We saw some things that perhaps would suggest otherwise. Also, you literally did just harm us like yesterday. So excuse us if we're not feeling terribly cooperative at the moment. Very well. Uh, and then the communication link goes dead. Uh, real, how's that hat coming? Go ahead and give me another one. Okay. Should I be rolling negative one die Die because of my hand? Actually, yeah, probably. Damn it. Okay. <laughs> Thanks for suggesting it. No, I mean, it makes sense. I suppose you hack two-handed. Ooh, I got a one and a three. Oh, unfortunate. I'm just, like, so mad after that person, like, came to Tom, like, oh, God, fuck, fuck them. <laughs> Have you seen Return of the Jedi? Uh, yes, but it's been a hot minute. So there's a part at the end where they're trying to open the way into the bunker when Han's like, I think I've got it, I've got it, and then a blast door closes in front of the existing door. That happens. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, so you're like, I think I'm close, I think I've got it, and then another door comes down and blocks the way for Real, like, out of, like, frustration, like, pounds their hands against the door, and they're like, oh, fuck! And as you're doing that, you start hearing a ruckus come from the way that you just came. The sounds of gunfire and claws skittering on the floor, and it sounds like whatever hellbent chaos was up above is set to reach you guys very soon. Give it another shot, really. You can do it. We've got things handled back here. I'll push myself. I'll take two stress. Go ahead and give me another another hack roll. Okay, this time I can use my three dice. Come on! A one, a four, and a five. You do manage to make a little bit more progress as before. It looks like you might be able to just get this new door up at the same time as you get the other one, but even then, that setback has cost you some time. Time that, unfortunately, is no longer a luxury. Some of the monstrosities of teeth and claw have managed to find their way downstairs, fleeing from the gunfire that, that has managed to drive some of them down here. And they turn and they see you, and then 
boots of more Tanavash's security personnel descend upon them from above, and this place suddenly turns into chaos as bullets start flying and everything else. As it is, you don't have a whole lot of cover from where you are, especially you, Will. Things are getting extremely dangerous down here. What happens if I max out my stress bar? You start taking harm when you would instead take stress. Okay. Don't do that yet. I am going to do my my not to be trifled with again. I'm going to push myself to, would this count as engaging a small gang on equal footing in close combat? Yeah, definitely. (laughs) As far as that goes, yes, you are pushing yourself to be this bigger, better person, stronger person. So I pull my sword out and I'm going to go hold the line. You pull your sword out, uh, you charge into the fray of, of animals and people, and we'll cut back to you in a hot second. Linda, is there anything you want to do in this particular situation? I honestly think she's just going to start taking pot shots at whatever she can hit. So some critters, probably more the security guys. She feels a little bit bad about the critters. It's not their (laughs) fault, but she's definitely going to take some pot shots at the security guys. So what's your aim? Are you just trying to to do whatever damage you can, or do you have a more specific goal in mind? Linda typically shoots to disable, not to kill, but um, but yes, basically just trying to do whatever she can to slow them down. Go ahead and give me, that sounds like Trace. Go ahead and give me a Trace roll. Does this game have non-lethal ranged damage? <laughs> That's what Linda's trying to do is non-lethal range damage. Unfortunately, I have no points in trace, so I have to roll two and take the lower. Unless you want to push yourself or accept slash propose a ripple or someone can help you out. But it seems like everyone else is pretty occupied. Yes, everyone else is pretty occupied. So I'm actually going to push myself so that I don't take the lower. So now I'm rolling one die and I rolled a three. Unfortunately for you, you start taking shots at the security guys But as you're busy focusing on them, one of the animals, as much as you didn't want to hurt them, sees you as a very big threat, or at least in terms of you're there, it's there, and it's trying to escape, and you are in its way of escaping. So as as you raise up your gun and take a shot or two at the security guys, this animal comes in and just latches onto your arm with a fierce bite and digs its teeth in. Uh, You take two harm. Perforated arm, I suppose, would be the perforated arm. Ouch. Disgusting. Okay, so yeah, I'm actually going to say that does not happen. Linda is wearing not a ton of armor, but definitely some armor, so she's going to resist that damage. So it comes in to do a big bite, and it it's definitely like latched onto her. She's going to have to shake it off, but it's not injured her because it's it's biting her armor, not her arm itself. Sounds good, Zen. You are, at this point, you you have taken your buff potion enough to get you on toe-to-toe footing with these guys. What's your aim with this? Are you trying to kill? Are you trying to cause chaos? Are you just trying to be a distraction? My main focus is to give Rill enough time to get that door open and hold this corridor and not let anyone pass. That definitely sounds like combat, then. You're getting approached from enemies on all sides. How does my social ability affect that? It changes it from desperate to risky. Gives you a better position to start with. Okay. I rolled two ones. Oh, no. (laughs) No. Oh, boy. We all die. (laughs) You charge in and you are unfortunately overwhelmed. You start off kind of with an advantage. You've got a sword, but there are so many fangs and teeth and angry animal things and, and people that in the chaos, you're just getting battered and beaten on all sides. 
eventually you're hearing gunshots all over the place. You hear one, and then you feel a very sharp pain in your side as you take three harm from this. Oh, well, good news. I'm going to use my other special ability, Battleborn, <laughs> which is you may extend your special armor to reduce harm on an attack in combat. Okay, I'll call that instead one harm and say that it impacted the, the body armor that you put on before you came here. It knocks the wind out of you, so you are now winded, but you are no longer much more grievously injured. I'm making use of these abilities today. <laughs> uh, real, go ahead and give me another hack check. Let's see how well you're doing on this door. Okay, all right. Should I push myself? I, I'd max out my stress, but... Oh, boy. Part of me wants to say don't do it yet, but I'm not sure. Yeah, there might not be a follow-up. So I then would like to go ahead and um, use another foresight to assist you with the hack since your stress is about to be maxed out. So I'm going to say that Linda packed some additional hacking equipment, like the equivalent of more RAM, like something that's going to give your hacking more speed and power. <laughs> you got a, a spike, functionally. You're, okay. you're trying to overload the system as well as hacking it to make it easier for them to do that. Yeah. Okay, so yes. I, I get three dice. Okay, I got a two, a five, and a six. <laughs> Thanks, Linda! Linda goes ahead and tosses you the spike. You jam it into the access panel of the elevator door and tap a few keys to execute one final script. And mercifully, with a nice little ding, the elevator door opens. Get the fuck in, get the fuck in, get the fuck in! Rel just scrambles in. Linda is going to um, whistle really loudly for uh, Zen and Selkie and get them all in. Zen does this big fucking sweep with her sword just to like keep everyone off her so she can sprint back for the elevator. Selkie fires a few pot shots as well as she hears your whistle and, and comes running. Uh, you all head into the elevator and the gunfire and because of the whistle now the creatures are following you and it looks like you might get one of them in there with you before the doors manage to close right in its face and you hear a thud and then the motor of the elevator as it starts moving. And as you descend... The noises that you hear get quieter and quieter and quieter until at last the only thing that you can hear is the hum of the elevator motor and your own breathing. Rill's going to get a gun ready because they want to shoot this person in the face. <laughs> Rill is only bothered by murder sometimes. Yes. Well, this lady's an asshole. The elevator descends again for a couple of minutes. It's a, genuinely a, a longer ride than any of you are expecting. But with the final ding, the doors open and you find yourself in somewhere quite unexpected. You are standing at the top of a truly massive circular room. All around you are various what looks like reactor stations, information stations, humming machines, and screens displaying information and data. At the far end of the room, elevated, sort of like in, in an observation area looking down, you see Dr. Addersgate, who seems to be looking upon you with no small amount of disdain. But your attention is drawn, most of all, to the center of the room, the core of the reactor. In there, you see a dragon. A dragon of old, of myth, any kind of dragon that, that all of you have imagined, or in some cases have, have seen during your travels, is sitting there contained in a circular bubble. You can see it moving, filled with liquid. Hoses and tubes snake in and out of both the bubble and the dragon itself. And with the telltale sign that all of you had by now to recognize an anomaly, the dragon is your anomaly. The intercom in the room comes on, and Dr. Addersgate's, again, dry voice goes, I suppose if you want to deprive this entire city of its power source, you are welcome to take your anomaly and leave. Absolutely, fuck you. That sounds like a you problem, not an us problem. 
Rill would walk towards the, the dragon. Really? You're going to deprive all the people of the city, including those in the slums and your precious freerunners of their ability to live? Uh, yeah, I, I guess so, huh? That's pretty fucked up. I mean, I think they knew what they were getting into when they asked us to come and take this out of here. S- Selkie speaks up and goes, uh, we had no idea you were taking the literal reactor core. Just saying. I'm doing a bit, Selkie, because she doesn't know about the other shit. <laughs> <laughs> right. Shut up, Selkie. <laughs> you got. You gotta tell me these things. You, okay. Well, obviously, why would I do that? That'd be really fucked up if I was doing that. But you have, you know, the thing that Ole say brought to you. <laughs> the thing that took like six months for one tiny crystal. Okay. Well. Uh, mm. I like that we're just like whispering amongst <laughs> ourselves. But you knew that we were coming down to the reactor core. Did no one think? That maybe that's what we were supposed to take? I mean, it was considered, but we don't know what runs this place. I didn't think it would be a dragon. Oh, God. We can't leave it here either. It's alive. It's not from this world. It needs to not be here. Yeah, that, I mean... Where's Dr. Addersgate? She's just kind of hanging up in the observation room. I'm guessing there's like a bulletproof glass window in front of her. That's a pretty safe bet. Damn it. Selkie... If we take this with us, and then we send help as soon as we possibly can, will that be okay? I can't promise when it will be, but, you know, you you asked for us, and we were here as quick as we could be, and you all have some support and have some resources, and will that be okay? I don't know. I mean, I never thought we'd have to live without this kind of thing again. I, I don't know how long it'll take, if they even have reserves, anything like that. It, I don't know. We can't leave an entire city without power. We can't leave it here. Linda hates this. This is like (laughs) the absolute worst possible thing because she wants to do her job. She wants to do what she's been asked to do, but she doesn't feel right about leaving everyone without power, especially given like how much she wants to already help this city. And so she's just sitting there looking more and more. Isn't it just an awful choice you have to make? Linda's just looking more and more uncomfortable. Fortunately, Zen is from a world without electricity. Zen's like, I don't give a fuck. <laughs> People are tough. They'll manage. Dr. Addersgate uh, is is watching this happen, and she, she turns on the intercom again and goes, It's okay. Take your time. I don't have anywhere to be, and I'm sure neither do you. Linda is going to get in touch with Hope and say, Hope, is there anyone you can ask what the deal is here? Like, like do we have a manager? Um, I'm actually working on finding that out right now. Who's the lead um, on duty? I don't, I don't have anything yet, but I'm really close to narrowing down a signal. Uh, what do you mean a signal? Well, I mean, all these commands have to come from somewhere, right? Yeah. With the journals? Well, I'm I'm close to finding down the origin of that. We can talk about it when you get back. Don't worry about okay, it. Okay, but, um, but this is kind of above our pay grade, and I don't really like moral dilemmas, so Linda has no idea what to do. Ziva also has no idea what to do. Rill looks at Selkie just very apologetically and walks towards the dragon. And Zen's going with them. Linda's going to look at Selkie and she's tearing up a little bit. And she says, I promise we are sending help. We are sending more power to you as soon as we possibly can. There's a lot of things at the library and they'll know what to do and they'll know what to send to replace this. I promise, I promise, I promise. We will be back as soon as we can. And if not us, someone else who knows how to fix things. 
and she she turns to follow Rill and Zen. Silky just kind of looks blank. Uh, she she looks at you all approach the the dragon, and she just kind of gives like a small nod, and then she just says, "You better." And then Rill gives the doctor a middle finger as <laughs> as their other hand reaches out to touch the dragon orb enclosure. And Zen will reach out and touch it at the same time. Dragons are kind of a big deal to her. Yeah, so. they're kind of a big deal to Will <laughs> <real> as well. <laughs> Linda's going to reluctantly push through and touch the dragon, but I think then she's going to say, all right, bring, bring us back. And then you feel the familiar feeling of yourselves as you start dematerializing. And the last thing that you see before everything kind of goes swirly is... Selkie wiping a tear from her face and giving you a small wave. Ember, I thought this was supposed to be our lighthearted arc. <laughs> I think and you lighten every- it up, too. <laughs> and then everything goes dark, and then after the moment of your familiar feeling of travel, you are back in the library with a large unconscious dragon in the book drop, which seems to have expanded dramatically to allow it to fill the space. Hope turns and sees the the dragon, and her eyes just go completely and utterly wide. Uh, and she goes, holy shit, Sertana Vastra? I don't know who the fuck that is. Hope runs over and places her hand on the dragon and starts to, like, almost pet it. And she's like, what on earth did they do to you? They were using him as a power source for an entire city, so we just killed probably thousands of people. We didn't kill anyone. They'll manage. Uh, we need to send some power back, like, ASAP. Like, whatever cosmic generator we might have in storage, it kind of needs to go there. Like, now. Very now. Who's coming to get the dragon? One of you, can you... Who's my manager? Several librarians have already appeared and are starting to... They're kind of looking up at it and then looking at each other and shrugging and then trying to figure out how they're going to escort it. Hope is looking between you three and she goes, You got back just in time. Follow me. I think I found out how to get to the front desk. There's a front desk. Oh, okay. I don't actually know if it's called the front desk, but I figured out where all these signals are coming from. Let's go right away. I have a lot of questions and I need to to escalate this issue. (laughs) Linda's about to go Karen on their ass. (laughs) (laughs) She pockets her journal and then grabs a small, functionally a, a similar kind of data pad that she had. And then she leads you off into the depths of the library. Hope leads you through a door and then through several more doors. She seems more confident in where she's going than any of you have ever seen anybody in this place ever before. You start getting out of the rooms that you all recognize and more into what can only be described as honestly like the the guts of the library. You pass more we pass through more rooms with with bookshelves, larger rooms that are just filled to the the ceiling with shelves and shelves of books. And then you pass through one of them and end up in what seems like a lot of machinery whirring machines and and levers and and gears are all clicking in in synchronization. There's steam hissing, and she leads you underneath the pipe and out through somewhere else. And when you end up in this room, it's like a planetarium, except for rather than being in the seats, you're standing on the ceiling at the upside-down apex of this dome. And then before you stretches endless, endless space. Oh, fuck, did we find the roof? (laughs) (laughs) Where's the pool? (laughs) She opens up another door, and you are led into just because I kind of felt obligated, that M.C. Escher staircase painting. It's just <laughs> doors and stairs and strange angles. But before long, she finally opens up another door, and you are led into uh, another large circular chamber, funnily enough. 
you enter at the top and you look down over this entire space and you see that this place is full of the librarians that you've seen previously that have come to to escort the anomalies away. In fact, some of the ones that you just saw. Um, dozens and dozens of people sit typing at, at workstations. You've got balcony levels with people on them typing away at workstations. You've got a staircase that leads down to the center. And there at the center is a single circular desk that sits in between the, the bookshelves ever-present that line the walls. At the far end of the room, the very far end of the room, is a large networked bunch of CRT displays, all of which are kind of displaying information in, in various colors of, of green and amber and those old teletype colors that you would see on consoles. In that circular desk, you see Dr. Addersgate. Hi, everyone. Thanks so much for listening to the Eternity Archives. If you'd like to support the show, consider leaving us a review on your favorite podcatcher or telling a friend. Since we're an independent production, this helps us out a lot. You can also support us on our Ko-fi page at ko-fi.com slash the Eternity Archives. That'll get you access to special supporter-only content, including our exclusive fan discord, behind-the-scenes information, and fun downloadables and bonus audio. Thanks again for listening, and hope you enjoy the rest of the show. In that circular desk, you see Dr. Addersgate. How she got here before you and changed her robes is an interesting question. But whenever you enter, all eyes turn and look at you, especially Dr. Addersgates. And she looks up and narrows her eyes and goes, are you archivists? How did you find your way here? Are you a fucking asshole? She, like, (laughs) opens her eyes wide and, like, leans back and goes, goodness sake, I hope not. Okay, I think this maybe is a different version of the lady we just saw. I apologize, that was very aggressive, but I think we just doomed an entire city. Uh, I'm a little on edge. Why don't you come on down? I believe we have quite a lot to discuss as you you also descending the staircases you get a better look at all the librarians around the room and some of them actually pull their hoods back to reveal many dr adder's gates ew i hate it oh no oh no (laughs) every single person in this room who is not the three of you and hope is dr adder's gate as you're looking some of them are are different some of them are like how rill and and zen will often change to to other races some of them are like that you even find one who looks to be honestly kind of like a, a cyborg body. Other ones still are are in completely different alien forms you haven't seen, but you still kind of get the sense that it's all the same person. And when you end up down at the front desk, the central Dr. Addersgate sort of stands and, and gives you a small bow and says, my name is Minerva. I'm the head librarian here. I expect you have questions. A couple. Well, Minerva, normally I would say it's really nice to meet you, but first things first, uh, you need to go help that city out immediately. Uh, it's extremely important, and, and then, yes, I have many questions, and so do my friends, and maybe a couple complaints. I, I cannot believe there's not an onboarding process here, for one. There is an onboarding process. Did you not attend the meetings? No one ever gave us a, a syllabus. There is most certainly an orientation. I apologize for that lack of decorum. I'll have to speak to somebody about that. First things first, what was this about a, a, a city? Well, you, you just sent us. You sent us to a city, and we had to bring a dragon back. And um, because we took it, the city doesn't have any more power, and they need it. This must be a recently finished case. Uh, she sits down and starts typing at the computer. Is this case number uh, 3263827? This was Sid Cathil? 
Zen just opens up her journal and, like, shoves it in the woman's face. Ah. Ah. Yes, it is that case. Well, I didn't send you. The library sent... Well, I suppose we picked who to send, but the library is the one who assigned this particular case. The library assigns all cases. We don't pick where to send people. We just pick who. Okay, well, I mean, that doesn't change the fact that there's a city without power and there's probably, like, life support and shit and we had to bring back a fucking dragon. I already killed a bunch of people uh, and I don't want to kill more people. So, I I mean, is there anything that we can do to help them? I, I understand your concern, but we are not in express control of the library's book drop system. It tends to sort of do what it wants in that regard. I can try... But I, I can't make any promises right now. Are you fucking We've, kidding me? I'm, I'm very sorry. I don't run the place. I stumbled upon this place, as I suspect many of you did, a number of years ago, and found that somebody simply had to help in the organization of it. What the library chooses to send and where it chooses to send people, how it detects these anomalies, I, I can't say. I don't know. We simply determine who to send out whenever it requests for a team. As I understand, this has always been the operation. I inherited this position from someone who looks just like me. What? As they inherited it from someone else who looks just like them. It makes sense to me. If we could just go anywhere at any time, whenever we wanted to, it would be easier to get home. All of us managed to find it through some method, ultimately the same method, planar travel. And if you, as I suspect, found somebody who looks like me and where you just came from, chances are they're trying to do the same thing. I suppose it's one of those... Rare and strange universal constants. Permutations upon permutations. Yeah, she was the one who had a dragon held captive in a fucking science basement. Yes, I suppose this does have something to do with the number of unreturned anomalies that we've been seeing. I have long suspected that someone or something has been interfering in our operations. From knowing what I do about the three of you, I expect you've seen that on more than one occasion. <sighs> yeah. Linda has completely given up on this lady. She needs to find the next manager up the chain. <laughs> She's looking for an empty terminal or looking for a blank book to, to look in. She occasionally looks up at the ceiling and is trying to decide if it's worth to just like shout at the library. She's not quite sure, but she's going to find some way to communicate. She's going to leave a very negative Yelp review. I want to speak to your district manager. <laughs> She doesn't like to use her Karen powers too much, but this one, she's been activated. That city needs power, damn it. Miss, Miss Linda, do you need something? I need that city to have power, please. <laughs> I understand that, but it's unfortunately out of my hands. I know it's out of your hands, so I'm just going to find whose hands it is in, because it's not your fault you can't do that, but someone needs to do it, so um, I, I'll be right back. I There, there is no... Oh, okay. Um, just let her wear herself out. <laughs> she just watches Linda start moving around and then instead turns her attention to Zen and Will and goes, First, we can do something about that hand. Second, do you have any other questions? As you are the first archivist that I have seen in a very long time that managed to find their way here. So are you just like okay with the kind of shit that we do where people like die and stuff? I would certainly rather things be different, but... The only problem is somebody has to do this. The anomalies must be returned to their proper position, or endings of the most unfortunate sort can occur in situations where they are not. There have been lost planes. The work that is done here is an unfortunate necessity, and I sincerely wish I had more control over this system, but it is so arcane and eldritch all attempts to discover anything further than this room, the head desk, have gone fruitless. How are we 
chosen? How do we end up here? I can't say. We do not choose specific people. The fabric of the multiverse is a lot less stable than you would think. Occasionally, things wind up here by mistake. Books, and as you know, even people. Perhaps the library knows when people need some sort of new opportunity in life, or it, it speaks to those who may be looking for it. I can't say. All I know is that all of us, like all of you, simply ended up here one day. And how do people leave? We have, on occasion, had archivists choose to stay in planes where they are sent to. It is an exceedingly rare occurrence, but aside from that, the only way people leave is if they, well, are no longer hired. Anyone being able to leave is a difficult sort of knowledge and ability that we have here is unparalleled on a universal scale. I can't say I've honestly seen anyone manage to find a way to end their hiring contract. Linda's sort of worn herself out at this point, and she's having a bad day. She's doing her best, but recovering the anomaly was not enough. She really wants to help, and so now she's at a point where she just comes back over and says, All right, I feel like we're going to have to maybe have a follow-up meeting or something of that sort. I can bring donuts or whatever it takes to smooth everything over, but look, the last question I want answered at this point is... What happens when the book drop just kind of decides to take you somewhere that, say, is just a dark and spooky version of the regular library? Or, I guess a better way to say that is, why are there dark versions of everything? Why are there dark versions of us and Desi in the library? I don't like it at all, and I, I would like to know how to not have it happen anymore. You are from Earth, correct? As far as I know, yes. I'm sure you're familiar with a scientist of yours named Isaac Newton. Uh, yes. They named some fig cookies after him, and um, he's the he's he's the apple one. She sort of regards you and says, many universal properties are consistent in every single world. There are some rules of the universe that occur over and over again. Infinite permutations of infinite permutations. In your case, I believe... Mr. Newton's third law, where every action has an equal and opposite reaction, whatever formed the library, I believe it formed something else too. Something its antithesis, its opposite, its, as you called it, the dark library, its, its kind of shadow self. We've seen evidence of it for some time, but like dark matter, the only way to detect it is by its absence. We know something is there, but we don't quite know what. Other versions of you existing is most certainly true. And she sort of raises her hand and gestures around the room and all the different Minervas. And it sounds like you ran into one of mine. This is all giving me a headache. This is all way above the capacity of my understanding. I would be more than happy to answer any questions you have. But if you do not wish to do so now, I certainly understand. We can talk later. We'll send you a calendar invite. But in the meantime, I think we need some pancakes. Yeah. Just the four of us. You're not invited. Oh. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> There's a lot of mysteries here that still have yet to be unearthed, and I suspect some of them never will. I assure you, I've been on missions of my own back before we had many archivists. On occasion, you have to make the hardest choices, and I am truly sorry about that. Well, thank you. We will we'll talk more soon. Alright, so I guess at this point, the gang is just gonna go get their slightly disappointed pancake on. <laughs> yeah. uh, that's that's it. That's all I had planned. Um, so We did it Yay. with consequences! Yay! Yay. <laughs> I am only slightly sorry for inflicting emotional distress upon you in the form of making you have to choose that. That's a lie. <laughs> 
No, no, it is it is true. I'm only slightly sorry. I'm not extremely sorry because that would be a lie. So how are y'all doing? What did you think? How are we feeling? I liked it. I think maybe this is just a limitation of my own imagination or because the, the word hack is in the title, but I did feel like I could just hack a lot of things and it was a little God mode of me. But I think maybe that's just the limitations of only playing in like one to two sessions and you know we're trying to get through it and maybe that wouldn't be as much of an issue in in other games or maybe that's just the point which is fine i did like the i mean i like d6s i like forge in the dark systems recently played in one called abyssal which is also forge in the dark and it's like historical real world but with like monsters and stuff like that you also check it out it's on twitter at abyssal underscore rpg so I like the system in general, and the flavor was really cool, too. That's all I got. I'm, I'm still sad from everything. I really liked the fact that you can use skills even if you don't have points in them. Obviously, you want to avoid doing that, but it's nice that that's an option. It's not, it's not you know, D&D 3.0 where they're like, did you not take points in athletics? Too bad. You can't jump. So I liked the flexibility of that. It felt pretty good to play. Like... I was worried when we were reading through the book, just looking at how much stuff is in there and how big the reference sheets are. I was like, oh my God, I'm not going to be able to do anything in this game. But it actually, it was just, it was natural to play. It was like, okay, I'm going to do this action. Here we go. I really liked flashbacks and the fact that you did not have to plan things out in exquisite detail before you started doing them, which is good because it's much more fun to go. And this is what I did previously on versus like, okay, and then we're bringing this gear and we're bringing this gear. And again, you have the the D&D 3.0 problem of like, am I going to need rope? Maybe. How much rope am I going to need? Let's say this much rope. Okay, how about a ladder? And like, that's really boring. I feel like the game has a lot of respect for the players in the sense that like, it doesn't make you write down every single thing you have on your character sheet ahead of time. Doesn't make you like keep track of how much weight you're carrying and like get into all of the nitty gritty details. Even though there is like, there's a lot of game in this game. This is probably one of one of the heftier, uh, chunkier games we've played. There's there are a lot of rules that I really like about this game. I really like the flashback stuff. In theory, I'll get into that a little more later. And I really like the resistance role. I really like, I said this at the beginning, how you can just say like, no, I don't want that to happen to me. Let's find another path forward. I'm always in support of mechanics like that. Yeah, I admire the way about how the the rule book is very upfront about like, this is a story that you two, that you are all telling together. This is a conversation. This is how things go. It kind of pulls away a little bit from kind of the more traditional D&D method of you have the dungeon master and you have the players. And, and you know, obviously, especially more recent versions of D&D have emphasized the collaborative storytelling nature. But this definitely gives players more of a direct hand in the narrative by doing things like picking the skill that you want to use to approach it rather than the GM doing it. Or as, as you noted, the resistance role, just being like, no, I don't want that to happen. We're just going to keep on going as it is. We're going to go, we're going to go down a different path. And I was kind of worried it would be a little bit more complicated to run and process than it ended up being, but it ended up being a little bit smoother. From a GM perspective, I will certainly admit I probably overplan this just in terms of even the day-to-day action because this one kind of like monster of the week is very much about the like put a few things in place and then just let things go in motion like react realistically according to the situation react as the story demands but don't overplan encounters don't overplan things that happen don't put down rails for the players to follow 
And I, I put down a couple of ales because I had specific, you know, story beats that I wanted you guys to hit. But aside from that, I didn't really plan a lot of the intricacies of what happened. I like that. I like that it emphasizes that as being a central part of how you GM it versus just kind of a, something under advisement. You are a bunch of thieves. You are going to have to improvise. It's better that you don't spend all this time planning anyway, because it's inevitably just going to get thrown into the disposal and spun around and then you have to deal with whatever mess you've got now. What about you, Bappy? Did you have anything in particular that like jumped out as, as something you really liked about the game? I like stress. Monster of the Week kind of has stress, but we didn't really use it too, too much because I think we were still kind of getting a handle on playing one shots in general. And I think the gamer mindset is usually like, oh, no, I need to save these for later. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but I just like I just like stress. I like being able to spend that one or two points to like modify your role. I think you already said this with the flashbacks with like deciding how many slots you have, but not predetermining your items. That That's cool, too. Just giving you that flexibility. And yeah, I just like rolling pools of D6s and then just picking the higher one. So, you know, like Forge in the Dark and also Heroic Horde. Oh, yeah. And Wild Sea. Yeah, I, I have to admit I'm coming around on dice pools. It's finally satisfying my dice goblin brain. I think another thing about this game that really surprised me is like, it's a surprisingly hard game. Most of the time we're only rolling like two or three d6s and the odds are kind of against you to get that perfect success. You're much more likely to have that like only partial success I think I like that. A lot of times I like that, but like other times it's like, man, I really wish I could just like get the success. I guess what I'm trying to say is it's a lot harder to succeed in a more black and white concrete way than it is in a lot of other games. And I think that really does fit the setting. And like pretty much all Forged in the Dark games are more gritty, darker settings. And so I think that this is an example of like the mechanics of the game, like really contributing to the atmosphere they're going for. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I do wish that there were occasional chances, like sort of resistance, um, where you could say this is automatically a success, even if those are very, very far and few between, because the feeling of getting a success is great. But I do overall like the fact that the game puts so much emphasis not on just the thing doesn't happen or the thing happens, but you take an injury. It, It focuses a lot on consequences and the situation changing. And I think that's a really interesting way to deal with failure. It's a lot like um, they said in the manual for what's so cool about monster blood, which is something always happens. And I just, as it turns out, I really like my something always happens games. Yeah, it provides, and, and, and as was mentioned, you know, obviously the, the setting itself is, is not supposed to be light and cheery, but, you know, they mentioned in the book a couple of times, like, depending on how difficult and, and dark you want to make your game, how the GM handles the consequences is a huge part of that. You know, for games that are meant to be darker and more punishing, then make those consequences worse. And then, you know, if you're kind of looking for more of a, a lighthearted, more kind of, you know, adventure romp, for, for lack of a better word, then, you know, make those consequences a little bit lighter do more reduced effect or change the situation ones rather than suffering harm or losing the opportunity. And I think that's a really good, that's a really good angle to take on this because as noted, cyberpunk is not in particular a very cheery genre. As you guys noted, you would kind of come out of a a more depressing and dark storyline and you wanted something a little bit brighter and, and more fun. So it was easy enough to adjust to that style rather than having to rely on a certain set of rules and then having to bend it. The rules just build in that sort of leeway right in there. 
And I have to say it was extra satisfying to do car chases and and motorcycle chases and find ourselves coming up against situations that we had to adapt to because it's the like 13th age is just like a very snappy way of responding to it that makes it really satisfying to do things that could be really boring if they were structured differently. Yeah, I've, I mean, I've done car chases in games like World of Darkness before, which have explicit rules for them. And that kind of works. But this sort of more freeform thing, honestly, is just more my style. I, I enjoy World of Darkness for some things, but I have definitely absolutely enjoyed this one. Yeah, like I can't imagine like a car chase working quite as well in a more structured game like Dungeons and Dragons. I have listened to them. And they're not very exciting. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm trying to imagine what it would be like to GM that. And I'm like, oh, I feel like I would have to like write up tables in advance and (laughs) um, have the players roll for specific things like revving the car versus jumping the car off a ramp versus blah, blah, blah. And it would just be so much time focused on the details that you can't have the flow of the action. Yeah. There's a lot of numbers. Yep. It's yeah. That's that's how it works. Each each person in the chase picks a maneuver. Yeah, I like how we made everything explode. That was cool. <laughs> <laughs> it's cyberpunk. Everything runs on magic batteries. Everything explodes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the action portions of this game were like exciting and like flowed really well, and that was really fun for me. It felt very, like, cinematic in places, and I think that Forged in the Dark in general is going for, like, a more cinematic feel, and I think on that front, it does succeed. Yeah, they, they definitely, I remember one of the, the earlier parts of the book talks about how you're you're meant to structure your Hack the Planet games like TV episodes, and, and episodes in, in, you know, the arcs are meant to be like a, a TV season. You, you are meant to kind of, you know, leap into the action. Downtime moments are kind of meant for some upkeep, but, you know, free play is meant for developing character and having these kind of conversations. But, you know, whenever whenever you are rolling dice, you are doing something in the action, you know, make it exciting, make it interesting. Should we talk about some of the things we maybe didn't like as much? This is something, it's not that I dislike it or like it. I'm just of a mixed opinion on it, is the rules for when you don't have a dot in one of the skills. It just feels very punishing to do a disadvantage. I don't know how else I would resolve that, though, is the thing, which is why I'm like of a mixed opinion on it. Because I do like that you can still roll it, but disadvantage still feels too punishing. But that might just be me. Yeah, I can't decide if I would prefer it if it started at one and then every dot was an extra versus, yes, I don't know, some other way to do it because I agree that it it feels bad. Part of it is just that I didn't spec out my character maybe as well as I could have. I was like, oh, I'm probably not going to have to do that much combat. And I don't know why I thought that. Uh, I've played (laughs) tabletop games before. You always have to do combat. (laughs) But yeah, I, I, I almost wish it started at one. And then you went up from there and the disadvantage was only for situations like like harm um, where you went below zero. Let's do some quick math here. Like if you're only rolling one die, then that's a one in six chance to like actually succeed. And if you're rolling that with disadvantage, like that, that chance goes way, way, way down. Becomes a, well, it becomes a one in 36 chance because you have to get sixes on both. Yeah, it's it's rough. It's punishing. And again, it does suit the like sort of the aesthetic and the feel that they're going for. But it is kind of punishing. And especially like it feels like you just start with so few skills. It might be by design, but it doesn't feel like the characters we're playing are like as badass and heroic as like some other games. 
Yeah. Yeah. And again, I think there's a place for that. And I think that is perhaps what they're going for. But that is something you should be aware of if you're like looking at this game and want to play this game. You really do have to focus more on like players specializing in different things because you can't really be a jack of all trades in this. And you might absolutely come up against a challenge where you're really missing like certain skills. You know, I have to plan it kind of like, you know, Monster of the Week has the the idea that you know obviously the gm should be the fan of the the players but it doesn't have the same sort of focus that like monster of the week has which is like you are special and awesome by inherent nature of just being a pc it very much is like you are a regular person you just happen to be you know talented and, or skilled in this particular area but it, it definitely focuses on you know the fact that like it expects player characters to retire either in a willing or unwilling way throughout the fiction. And it, it definitely builds onto that idea that, yeah, it's, it's hard to be a jack of all trades. You, you really have to specialize if you want to be competent at this one area, because otherwise you're going to be rolling, you know, one die for a lot of things. And that's that's really only a 50% chance of getting what you want. I mean, there are some parts in the book where they talk about the fact that the characters are just sort of average people. And I think that there is a, a place for that. But I feel like in a genre like cyberpunk, and especially in a game like this, where they're like, you can take it very serious, but you can, you can also take it very like fun and light and zippy. I want that like 13th age feeling of like, I am a special being in the universe. The things I do are rad and important and powerful. And again, I think that's that's partially just me as like a player is that that's, that's more fun, especially again, when you're playing a lighter campaign, um, that it would be nice to have a little more power as a character. And again, this is, I know that these are like purposeful choices. It's just not what I personally like super prefer. So it's not like a problem with Hack the Planet, but if you like that kind of gameplay, it's not necessarily in here. This is a game where you're going to be struggling against the system a lot more, which again, as we mentioned, comes with its own like interesting quirks and, and tweaks and changes around you, which is all really fun to respond to. But occasionally you're like, can I just have one more freaking roll? Like, I just want one more dice. There are times when it feels a little disempowering as opposed to empowering, which is just honestly like a small, a small problem, but definitely noticeable. So I want to talk about like the structure of like a hack the planet forged in the dark game, because one of the main things is that a game like this is supposed to be like, as part of that cinematic feel, you're supposed to have much less emphasis on the planning and much more emphasis on hopping right into the action and like resolving things real quick, like nice and snappy. But like, I still felt like we did spend a lot of time like planning and especially that gathering information phase was like a hefty chunk of time. I can say the same for when I've played other games in this system. I played in a Blades in the Dark game for a while in person, and honestly, that whole flashback cut straight to the action system, it didn't get used as often as it should for the emphasis the book places on it. And maybe that's just like our limitation as role players and our background in like a Dungeons and Dragons system where everything takes place very linearly because the rules of this game don't want you to play this game in a linear fashion. And yet every time I've played a game in this system, it has very much happened that way. I think part of it comes down to as role players, we're generally just not used to operating with zero information. And even the way that, that Hack the Planet and I guess Blades in the Dark emphasize that, they basically say, plan as little as possible, go into the action, 
you can go ahead and do it then. But it still, it still talks about how, you know, you need to get some kind of a detail for this. You need to do some way to gather information. And I feel like in some way that gather information phase becomes longer because players end up focusing not on the exact detail that they're looking for. They just want to get more information on the overall, the overall area. Right. We, we want to make sure we're doing it right. We're not missing anything. Yeah. Yeah, you know, the for the, for the one that we did transport, it was, you know, the detail is the route and means specifically. And the route could have been, we just leave the area, and the means is via truck. And that's that's really all we needed. But obviously, you guys spent more time, and I'm not, you know, blaming you for this or anything. It's not a, it's not a criticism. But, you know, we spent more time focusing on other details that were there. And it certainly went on a little bit more than I think, you know, the book was intending it to be for something like that. The book is like, only get as much detail as you need. But our nature as, you know, even people coming from D&D or even just role players in general is get all the information that we can because we're curious people and we want to know more. I guess that is a limitation of like us and our backgrounds more than I guess the system itself. But I guess I wish there were more like play examples like in the book. Something to facilitate that and like ease you into that sort of method instead of it just kind of being, you know, a linear Dungeons and Dragons game with a different rule set. Yeah, I felt like in general that the book focused on on sort of odd places. Like I found myself feeling like there was way too much information to absorb and then not having examples for the right things. And I think that's a really good example is seeing how they had set up a play session or having like things that the players needed to have like definitively before they moved out of the gathering information would have been really helpful. Whereas I feel like I read a ton about action roles and all the various like quirks and changes, but those are actually very straightforward. Like like those are easy to understand. And I could have really used some of that like example and detail on the parts that are not necessarily traditional in terms of role playing like the non-linear structure yeah i I see what you mean the first time i I was going through the book it's laid out okay but i mean i remember whenever we were talking about looking for like what happens if you roll zero dice we you know i had to spend five or ten minutes looking for that in the book because it was just never where i thought it would be really my biggest problem with the system is just that i didn't i had a hard time with the book figuring out which information i needed to absorb versus which information i didn't and that i wish they'd had examples of some of the the pieces like durka mentioned like the the flashback system that would help us learn the parts that are less intuitive to seasoned role players on the whole i really liked the game I would appreciate like an SRD with some some different reference sheets and some different examples than what are included in the book personally. We do love SRDs. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to like get a tattoo that just says SRDs um, and just point at it every time, <laughs> every time we start a new game. And the ribbon. Yeah. <laughs> yep. But yeah, I definitely agree that that there were some pieces that I was like, man, I I need to like understand exactly what we need to do here a little bit differently in order to to make this piece work the way it's designed to be worked or the way it's designed to work. And I want to say that like this is the sort of game where the longer you play it, the more natural it would be. But from my experience in Blades in the Dark, the longer we played it, like the more comfortable we got, like just kind of ignoring those mechanics and we'll not really playing want. the game. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it did it did feel like a lot more like a traditional Dungeons and Dragons type game. And it was still fun. I had a great time, but it, we weren't utilizing the mechanics in the way that they are meant to be utilized. 
I think that that covers my feelings on it. I think I'm the odd one out. This was my first ever Blades game, or I guess I should say Forged game. And I thought it was really neat. Like, this is a system that I'm glad it's got as much hype as it as it has. Like, when people talk about role playing, it tends to be mentioned in the same breath as like Powered by the Apocalypse. And I'm glad it's actually very cool. And it's um, it's just really different from D&D or Powered by the Apocalypse. Yeah, I really liked it. I thought it was neat. And I'm glad that it's getting the hype it's getting because it's just really fun and interesting. And I'd be interested in playing more games in the system and seeing how they compare to this. I would definitely like to, to either run or be in kind of a longer one because I love heist movies and, and thieves in fiction. They're just one of my all-time favorite archetypes. So this kind of system, which is specifically designed around cinematic, you know, fast-moving, action-filled heist crews is just right up my alley. And I'm, I would love to, to dive more into this and really play a full game as it's meant to be played. You know, I mentioned at the very start that by just the nature of what we're doing, we have to cut the downtime mechanics and even some of the score mechanics and the whole crew mechanic and all this stuff is neat. It's just, we just didn't have the time for it. I will say that like when you're playing this game in a more long form way and over multiple sessions and you're actually able to like utilize the crew and the territory and like that sort of thing, it does change your motivations and force you to play completely differently because you are looking towards that more long-term goal. And that is a really cool thing. It's really cool to like grow your influence and like see these other gangs also growing around you. Yeah, that's really fascinating. And this is, I know we say this every time, I would like to play more of this. This is like, this is this is very interesting, but that's the Eternity Archives, baby. Um, playing one shots is a really good way to showcase most of the things about the system, but just by the nature of the medium, we can't showcase literally everything. But we showcased a lot and I hope it was interesting and to listen to. It was definitely fun to play. And if our listeners come away from this thinking like, oh, I would also like to see more of this game, then they go out and play the game and we've done our job. Yeah, definitely. We're withholding for you, listeners. (laughs) (laughs) This is a quick but uh, somewhat tangential question. Dorka, is the Mistborn tabletop game based off of Forged in the Dark at all, or is it a totally own thing? It's a totally different system. That seems like a missed opportunity. (laughs) A missed. I think the Mistborn RPG predates Forged in the Dark. Okay, because I was about to say this. Um, it would fit into this perfectly. Yeah, the heist really remind me of that that first Mistborn book. And I was like, man, that would be such a fun doing a Mistborn Forged in the Dark game would be fun as hell. But yeah, that would make sense if it if it predated. Otherwise, I was going to be like, dear Mr. Sanderson, please, please make a second Mistborn game. Yeah, because the Mistborn RPG is also like focused on completing heists and kind of this dark, punky world. And frankly, it would slot into this system absolutely perfectly. I'm not going to think about it too hard because I have too many projects on my plate already. (laughs) (laughs) Well, all right, I guess that's it for Hack the Planet. Ember, do you have anything that you want to promote before we wrap things up? Not particularly in this respect. I would like to say thank you to uh, John Harper for the Blades of the Dark system originally. Thank you to Fraser Simon for Hack the Planet, a game with which I had a lot of fun. Uh, and thank you again to my dear friend Joe, who graciously allowed me to use his worlds, one or two of his characters, and uh, helped me a lot when, when I was making this sort of future version of a world that I grew rather attached to in my time in it. I have almost 10 full pages of, oh my of God. notes. Character notes. I have a whole section on the thematic focus that I did. 
I do have a note that unfortunately I didn't get to do, which is make sure at least one NPC comments on how thick Rill is. <laughs> um, didn't get around to that this time. Maybe next time. Speaking of next time, what are we playing next on the Eternity Archives? We're going to do kids on bikes, but it's probably more going to be like teens on bikes because I don't like small children in fiction. I'm very sorry about that. But that game is kind of it's like basically whenever someone describes it it's like stranger things it's it's a bunch of kids uh solving mysteries or what have you weird shit going on in their small town i really like the system for this game it's unique compared to a lot of other stuff we've played this one actually uses one of each dice so look forward to that yeah that's so exciting (laughs) goblin goblin yep yep oh i'm so excited to use d12s i love d12s like underrated dice die for sure <laughs> barbarian hit die in a great axe and i think that's all it's <laughs> yeah got. it's like the big what like a maybe like a big sword i don't fucking know but yeah yep look forward to that it'll be fun so yeah thank you so much ember for uh you know being with us and running this game for us and how dare you for hurting yeah. my feelings thank you all so much for inviting me it's always great for the three of us to like go down and play a game together so yeah, I, I had a really good time. Uh, thank you for letting me play around in your universe and set some of the lore that I've had my own questions for since the start. So it, it's, it was it was interesting to get to be like, oh, I have to. Yeah, remember that, that tea that time a while back where we said that like whoever got to create the lore was the one currently running the game, even if it was a guest. <laughs> we weren't kidding. There. <laughs> oh, uh, one more shout out. I would like to thank Jen. I actually did talk to Jen about using Desi beforehand, and there was originally I had a slightly different part planned. There might have been a conversation, um, but in the interest of time and and organizing everything, I had to cut that out. But I uh, thank you, Jen, for letting me pop that little Desi cameo in there. Thank you again for for having me on. I had a great time, and it sounds like you all did too. And that's all that I can ask for. Well, that's that's it for us today. Thanks everyone for listening. We love you all. Thanks for listening, Bye. everybody. Bye, everybody. Bye. The Eternity Archives is hosted, produced, and edited by Dorka, Bappy, and Ziva. Find us on Twitter at, at @thearchivespod or online at theeternityarchives.com. Our intro music is Paint the Sky by Hans Adam, and sound effects are obtained from zapsplat.com. Check out our show notes for more information and some helpful resources. Consider supporting us by telling your friends about us, or leave us a tip at our Ko-fi page, ko-fi.com slash theeternityarchives. Subscribe to our Ko-fi for all sorts of exclusive bonuses, behind-the-scenes content, and other fun surprises. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.